My name is Sister Prince, and I'm interviewing Dr. Philip Venable uh, for the Black History Project at the Missouri Historical Society. Today is August 28, 1987. We will be discussing the 40s and 50s, uh, Homer G. Phillips Hospital, the implications that it had for the blacks of the city and uh, the importance that it played in their lives. Segregation um, between doctors, uh, how they worked together separately, housing, social changes, and um, other things pertaining to the 40s and 50s. Dr. Venable is a prominent ophthalmologist and a man who has contributed so very much to his community and to the city of St. Louis in all fields. Um, where, where, were you, where were you born, Dr. Venable? Well, I was born in, uh, in Windsor, Canada in 1913, right across the river from, uh, from Detroit. Mm -hmm. It so happened my mother was uh, uh, American, but my father was Canadian. And uh, so uh, we moved from uh, Windsor to uh, Detroit, oh, I guess at about 1919. I was about six years of age. So uh, there we came up through the city system, which was rather unique there, in that you could go all the way through the city system and still be a part of the educational program. Uh, uh, Detroit is one of the few places where you could go right up through primary school, uh, college, and medical school all under the jurisdiction of the city. So that, that made it rather unique. But after I finished uh, medical school, which we went to Wayne State at that time, Wayne State University, uh, the problems there were not too bad, but it was a rather segregated institution. In fact, they didn't take too many blacks. In fact, when I applied, I wasn't too sure I was going to get in. As I, there's another history along with that, which may be of some benefit, because I had a chance to go at the waters, I was playing music oh, right. at the time, I and I wasn't sure I was going to get in Wayne. Mm -hmm. So she saw me, and uh, I was all set to go to New York really to play with her. So it happened, her, her uh, contract arrived two days after I got the notice that I was going to Wayne. So I went to Wayne and started there in June 1935. Now Wayne at that time was somewhat prejudicial. It, it was a uh, uh, what's primary Anglo-Saxon based uh, uh, University, and however we did the best we could, but there weren't too many blacks. I think we had about four blacks in the whole school, and medical school I'm talking about. So they weren't. They only took a one black every eight or ten years, and so it depended upon which part of the ten year you whether you fall in between the ten year period or after. If you fell after, it was a little difficult to get in. But anyway, make a long story short. Fine, I did get in. My grades were very good, and so I, I got in Wayne. But the problem was, after you finished medical school, that's when your problems really started, because there was no hospitals in Detroit that would take you. Uh, blacks were not getting into any of the hospitals there when you, at Wayne. They weren't taking any black interns. At uh, City Hospital, where we train, uh, they, they have called City uh, Hospital of Detroit. Receiving yeah. hospital, you could not go there for an internship. They wouldn't take blacks. So you never yeah. entered a hospital during medical school. Well, you entered the hospital, but you were a student. You were, you, you were a third, what they call a uh, uh, senior student. You were an extern. Mm -hmm. As an extern, yes, you could go into the hospital and you could examine patients. And, and uh, But you're under the aegis of Wayne State University, not on your own. But that's where it all ended, see, because after all, when you become an intern, then you're in a little different category. You're a doctor, an MD, you're giving orders, you're writing histories, not only that, but you're participating in surgery, and, and uh, it's a little different. When you're an extra and you're taking orders, you're a student, you're under the jurisdiction, so you don't have any real authority. Okay, I have a question. Uh, being a Negro doctor in those days, uh, or, or wanting to be one, did being a Negro have play a part in your choice of what kind of doctor you chose to be? Well, somewhat, because Negroes were not given an opportunity in certain fields of medicine. 
and that's why I, I think, in retrospect, I uh, wanted to go into ophthalmology, and I realized it was going to be very, very difficult because there were very, very few openings were there. And I realized that I had to almost make the opening, and as, as, as it so happened, I had to do. Uh, uh, most uh, Negro, well, we use the term black nowadays, but doctors in those days, we call them Negro, that's right. That's funny because 10 years ago, somebody said black, I'd probably beat him up, but now we accept it as a term used. But in those days, you see, uh, Negroes were more or less relegated to certain areas of medicine, obstetrics uh, and medicine, and a few in surgery. Uh, you didn't branch out into radiology or dermatology or psychiatry, ophthalmology, otolaryngology. Those things are almost unheard of. And when a Negro went to those areas, uh, people automatically deduced that you were going to starve to death. And that happened to me. I mean, that's what they told me when I came out. So, but so I realized uh, after my internship, and I was exposed to all the various branches of medicine, that I liked ophthalmology. I liked iron, nose, and throat too. But in those days, it was very difficult to get a residency just in ophthalmology. You had to take them both. That was for the white doctors too. Because in those days, we had not separated ophthalmology and uh, otolaryngology as we have today. So when I got there, went to, uh, uh, to go to the uh, school, I would say there were only uh, University of Pennsylvania, maybe Harvard, but th that was very difficult. So Homer Phillips, it's a place in Chicago called Provident, uh, Harlem Hospital, but Harlem Hospital was primarily dominated by Jewish people and white people, and then they, at that particular time, weren't taking too many Negroes, even though it was right in the center of Harlem. So it all boils down to one of the, the outstanding places for training in that state. It was Homer Phillips Hospital in 1937 because it had good backup. It was affiliated with Washington University, and they alternated every four years between St. Louis University and Washington University. But it was an outstanding Class A hospital. And so as I said, since there was nothing there in Detroit, I came here on a visit to visit Homer Phillips, and I liked it so much. And I was accepted here in the internship program starting mm -hmm. in 1939. Been, you must have been very good then because there must have been a lot of... Uh, a lot well, I was about number after. two in my class, you see, yeah. at, at Wayne State, and I was only black in the class, but I was number two in the class. So, I mean, I had very good credentials, and that's what made me quite angry that I couldn't get in uh, uh, receiving hospital because it was outright prejudice as was brought up, you see. Mm -hmm. Uh, because my grades were good. So the only reason they excluded me is because I was black. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so I knew that. Well, in those days, you didn't have much chance going to courts because the courts were against you. It just wasn't accepted. Mm -hmm. So Homer Phillips, you see, in those days, uh, most of the interns came from two major schools. I was more or less an oddball, even though I was black and went to Homer Phillips, because most of their people came from Meharry and Howard, though they were the two black universities training black doctors. So I was a stranger. They got very, very few black doctors from quote unquote the integrated schools like Harvard or, or like uh, Wayne or say Harvard or, or University of California, Stanford, places like that. There were a few blacks in those areas going to school as students. How did, how did, the, how did the men from the Mahari and uh, Howard treat you? They treated me very well. But I had to get adjusted as I tell people now and they laugh but it's hard to believe. The only time I ever saw a black nurse in that time, a nurse was when I got to Homer Phillips. And it, and it just felt so strange. Not that there was any inferiority. Yeah, I'd never seen one before. It just showed you all through Wayne, all through Detroit, they were all white. And so I'd never seen a black nurse till I got to Homer Phillips. So you had some segregation adjustments on your I own. did, yeah. But it was good. In retrospect, one of the best things I ever did because, well, if you're going to work primarily on black people, and that wasn't my aim, I was going to work on people. And if they had to be black, fine, had to be green, I'd work. As it turned out in my life, I worked on everybody. But if you're going to get used to people and work primarily with black people, then you got to understand them. And you understand them, you, you associate with them at Homer Phillips and other black places. Too many times when I'm saying this honestly, uh, and I think it's a, it's a fact, though, that sometimes even our own black doctors, if they're taught and trained in an all-white society, they have a problem adjusting to their own people, and, and there's a certain animosity and antipathy that exists that they have a hard time building a practice. Unbeknown to themselves, they show this resentment and they show this, no, but they, they, they don't know how to get along with their own people. And that happens because more and more some of the black doctors and some of their families are so 
gung-ho on sending a child to Harvard, send them here, send them there. Well, that's fine, but when he gets out and has to practice with black people, he's, he's, he's at a disadvantage. You know, Dr. Venable, uh, what I've found in interviewing a few people now is that they send their children to integrated private schools, yeah. but when it comes time to college, they send the boys to Howard. Yeah. They want them to have that yeah. association. Well, you have to get that association, and I think that 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 is what as you know, I participate a lot in civil rights here in housing and hospital and everything else. But my main concern is you have to train your children for life as it is, not as you want it to be. There's no such thing as being going into the world and see all white folks. No, they didn't like that. Or all Japanese. You're going to see some of everything. And your success in life depends upon how well you get along with these people. And that's what I tell my residents. I, I harp on that. I said, you've got to go to Barnes, you've got to learn how to take it, don't carry your feeling on your shoulder, get along with people, Jewish people, all kinds, white, Anglo-Saxon, and try to amalgamate. Because as you go out into life, you're going to be in all types of people. And you're, you're, whether you success or failure, depends upon how well you get along with people. I said, and don't carry a chip, don't be anti-Jewish, don't be anti-Irish. Uh, 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 you hurt yourself. And always meet people halfway, and that's the way I've tried to run my life. Because the way that some person, a person that's standing at that door, that can open that door for you, may be a Jewish person you don't like, and so you're hurting yourself. Keep an open mind, because your practice, again, and my practice, without being too, but I've been in practice, I can know I'm sitting when I retire, but it, it will be uh, about 47 years. And during that time, I had a chance to meet all people. I'm my kind of my practice about 99% white, okay? I was down there, started out on Jefferson Market, it was 99% black. But even there, then I moved to Clayton, I've been in five different offices. So I've had a chance, but people are people, and I think if you keep that attitude, you'll succeed. Because you must you treat everybody. Okay, now, besides the black nurses that you've yes. ever seen before, yeah. what else was different for you when you came here? What else did you have to adjust to? Well, you have to adjust to working with other black people. I've never done that before. On a higher plane, like heads of the, heads of the department or the medical director, for instance. I, I never had a split around a medical director that was black. I'd never been around a, a, a nursing head that was black. How did it make you feel? Well, I, I felt funny because I had not been brought up in a black society. And, 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 but I adjusted very rapidly because uh, I found they were competent, they knew what they were doing, and I found out that, uh, that uh, they had more knowledge than I had about getting along with people. And I found uh, after a while, and I adjusted uh, pretty well. Now don't misunderstand me, I had worked with blacks in Detroit, but not on a medical plane, but, uh, but not uh, on a peer basis. I had never worked with blacks on a peer base, so it was completely foreign to me. How was the competition? The competition was good. Uh, it was good. And that's what we found out. The competition was good, but we found out something at Homer Phillips that was so important, even in those days. Here was a black hospital, which was one of the finest in the country. Now, Homer Phillips, as as it evolved, trained a lot of the blacks that entered the white societies later. See? And that again is what I, I try to delve into my residence. That the black institution, because of segregation, was a proving ground. It was a proving ground for you to develop all of your expertise. And then someday, somewhere, you might get a chance to go in the College of Surgeons. You might get a chance to give a lecture at Barnes, but Barnes not going to train you. You're going to have to get your training with me or somebody else at home in Philly. Because if you get on that podium at Barnes, you better know what to do. You're talking about it. They'll throw you off. So, but where are you going to learn that? Now, I go over to Barnes. I've been there 32 years. I see what over there. They take the residents. They train them. They put them in little seminars. And if they make mistakes, they correct them. And then when they get to the Academy, which was coming up in November, they got the finished product. But that was our problem. We didn't have any place to train us. And that's where Homer Phillips and Meharry and Howard came in because they would train you and get you ready for the finished product. Yeah. 
this theme, sister, is very important because a lot of people miss this concept. Even some blacks uh, miss this concept. Because you have to get trained. You can't start at the top. Somebody has to train you. Somebody has to help you. And, and, and then after four or five or six years, you will gradually get to a certain point. But if there's no place to train you, if there's no place that's willing to take you an embryonic stage and, and develop you, and that's where the trouble was. Wayne, is, they're, they're not, I mean, like receiving hospital. They wouldn't take blacks. All right, now, then on these various... Explain receiving hospital. Receiving hospital was comparable to Homer Phillips, only it was white. Receiving hospital was a city oh, hospital. Oh, that's the name of it. Yeah, oh, receiving hospital was, a, was a city hospital okay. of, of Detroit. I, I did not yeah. understand it was the name but, of it. Excuse me. We were. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, how did you find? Well, did you want me to continue with that scene? Yeah, that we go, had? You go ahead. Let me continue that because that is very important. Because uh, the training ground is very important for blacks, whether it's in medicine, sports, uh, anything else. Mm -hmm. And for blacks to reach a certain amount of expertise that enables them to compete with whites and anybody else, they have to be able to get training. And that was the the, the value of a place like Homer Phillips, the value of a place like Providence, Chicago, the value of a place like Howard University and Meharry, which would train the blacks. And uh, something that they all always understand today is the same way in sports. Now that the, the blacks can get training right out of school, right out of high school, with the whites, you see what's happening. They're equal, and they would be better. Uh, most of the football team, at least 56%, why then look at baseball. But until you got the training, so you're right, you go right back to Jackie Robinson. Mm -hmm. See, Jackie Robinson was able to get training in the black American baseball league. If it had been for that, they'd have never seen him to try out with the Dodgers. He wouldn't have had any expertise. They didn't train him. He got started with the same way with medical school. Say without Homer Phillips, there's a lot of black doctors would never have gotten a chance. How did how did they feel? How did people at, at Homer G. Phillips feel when the black doctors trained there and went out into white hospitals? Would they have? Would they? Have well, they weren't heard? able to go to white hospitals at first. See, that was at real because of segregation. See, a lot of the left Homer Phillips uh, uh, went. But eventually, I'm they went there. Eventually. Would they have preferred them to stay and treat their own people, or would they were they glad that they could go out? Well, they were glad they could go out because I'll tell you this: they had a large number that did stay to train in their own community. That's right. You see, that uh, we trained over about 800 doctors that went all over in our department alone. I think I, I may have told you this: we trained 271 eye doctors all over the world. And about 20 or 25 of them are right here in St. Louis. Yes, because you became yes. the director of. In, uh, in 1943. 1943. December the 1st, 1943, I became head, head of the I department. Well, it didn't take you long. Uh, to go and study at New York University, and I got a scholarship there, and I got a Master of Science in Ophthalmology there, and I had a chance to do some research there in Ophthalmology, which again... You mean, and then come back here? Yeah, that that, that was a chance to, to, to develop yourself. So I've been very lucky. You, you don't get those kind of breaks. So somebody had to help me, and that happened. You'd be interested in that. I was sponsored by the Julius Rosenwald Fund. See, the Julius Rosenwald Fund picked out four of us who felt we were outstanding and to go for additional training because we realized we had to get additional training. We couldn't compete in medical circles, but just what we got at Homer Phillips and like the whites did when they left Barnes, they would go to Harvard, they would go to Johns Hopkins or what they call a fellowship. That was a word for it because they realized the training get there isn't enough and I realized that but where am I going to get it? So here comes the Julian Roosevelt Fellowship and that's interesting to me now because Bernie Becker his wife is the great daughter of Julius Rosenberg. He did my third eye operation. That's what I'm saying. So <laughs> life is funny at all times in. Yes. See, so if it hadn't been for Julius Rosenwald, yes. fun, I probably <laughs> wouldn't be where I am now. Yes. Because they made it possible for me to get additional training, mm -hmm. which helped me so much 
Then I came was back. Was it Julius or Lessing? Hmm? Julius Rosemont. Julius Rosemont. And it was a fun. They helped a lot of minorities, not only blacks, they helped mm -hmm. a lot of people, but yeah. All right. Uh, and uh, tell me about the Mound City Medical Association because. Well, the Mound City Medical Forum started about 1926, I believe. But when you got here? Yeah, when the, the Mound City Medical Forum was very good. They had their black society. These doctors, we met at Homer Phillips Hospital. And we had about 40, 50 members of black doctors in this area. We also took them in for surrounding areas like Cape Cairo, East St. Louis, and mm -hmm. Eastern Illinois. Because and you could not you could not belong to the St. Louis no, Medical you could Association, not, no, not which was white, right? was white, right? But you could belong to a statewide medical association? Well, you could. No, you couldn't belong to any. You couldn't belong. You couldn't belong to the St. Louis Medical Society. You couldn't belong to the American Medical Association. And you couldn't belong to anything because you couldn't get into St. Louis Medical Society. See, that was the, oh, the I focal. Thought, I thought that I had read in your, oh, one no, of your articles no. that you could belong in statewide but not local. Oh, no, no, that's not okay. true because all of the state, and that's what, that's what hurt me for so long. Mm -hmm. See, it took me, uh, I couldn't get in the ophthalmology, the American Academy of Ophthalmology, which I'm now a life member. Mm -hmm. see, see, because when I finished in 1944, I took the American Board of Ophthalmology. Mm -hmm. See, it made one of the highest grades of anybody on that board. I mean, that's common knowledge now. And then I turned out later on down the road to be an associate examiner mm -hmm. for that board longer than anybody in history. I became, I went on in 59, I just left in 1981, 82. So that's about 26, 27 straight years. I was associate examiner of the American Board of Ophthalmology, which is quite a high honor. See, I examined candidates from all over. Uh, the country and I, I, I enjoyed that. But here again, let me show you. After I took my board, automatically you become a member, just apply mm -hmm. to the Academy of Ophthalmology. But they wouldn't take me because I had to come through the St. Louis Ophthalmological Society. And that's where the rope came. They wouldn't take me for 10 years because of prejudice. I sat there for 10 years waiting on them to take me in. So that was rough. You get a little bitter? Yes, I was. I was quite bitter because doctors I had talked were getting in every year it made me mad. From all of Some of my students they were taken in, yeah, but they wouldn't take me and it just made me so angry. But I stayed there, I took it, I was a guest. And when the business session started, I got up and left just like all the guests. But make a long story short, not to belabor this point, but I think it's important in history to realize that in those days segregation was rather rapid and it was more or less acceptable. See, that those days they had what they don't have now, so segregation could really flourish because they had a black ball system. It worked a lot like a fraternity. Uh, you never knew who the person was that was knocking you out. It was all secret ballot, and it only took one no to knock you out in those days. So that made it very, very rough. Now all that's gone. Uh, they have open ballots. I mean, you know who's against you, and only 75% is necessary. So you get in. But you see, there was one person who was blackballing me, and we found out who well, I mentioned, well, I don't know mention the name over here, but anyway. Uh, they found out who it was, and they went out and talked to him. Dr. Venable, uh, it's been a pleasure being associated with you, and I find you a very vital and a very um, honest, uh, outspoken uh, man. Um, were you always this way? Yes, all my life. Or my did life. you? No, all my life, because even in an integrated society there in Detroit, we have problems. Because you're committed. I'm you're committed, committed to yeah. everything you do. Yes, I, I try. So I was in music the same way. Same way mm -hmm. as we fought for things for musicians and in Detroit. And my whole life has been not one of always uh, frustration, but I've tried to, to help and try to open no, things you're up. Positive. I'm positive. And I try to know where I, 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 I stand. Homer mm -hmm. Phillips, you know, I fought for Homer Phillips for years and years and years before it was closed. And, and it makes me feel good mm -hmm. now because every day somebody says, well, one of the things you said are certainly coming true. Mm -hmm. uh, we should have went and, and opened Homer Phillips. Mm -hmm. That's obvious now. But, all the problems. So, but I was a fighter and I would criticize blacks, whites, anybody if I thought I was right. But I've, very, I've always been outspoken the same way. But the medical society, I jumped on their back because they wouldn't let us play golf, which was stupid. Here we are paying a dude, they go to golf a place and wouldn't let us play. And then they said, no, well, we can't because, of course, well, now black was so happy that wasn't true. I went out and talked to the owners. It wasn't. They didn't want to play with us. 
Did you get a change then? Sure, a change. Yeah, about 10 years ago, the change. And to, and to show you how, well, segregation is always stupid, you know that. It, it doesn't make sense when you get right down to it. And this is what was so glaring. I made a report to the academy about the uh, golf course out in St. Charles. So they said, all right, they thought they had me. All right, Dr. Bell, you want to play with us? I said, well, I'm not going to play. I can play in a place else. But I think it's unfair for me to pay dues to this organization and can't play golf. But this society is not a private gives a golf term. Said, well, you find us a place. I went out here in St. Charles and Mayor, I played out there in a week. They said, sure, we can host it. We got everything. They got a beautiful golf course, beautiful dining room. So took it back. I said, it's too far. Well, Dr. Bell, that place is nice, but it's too far. And here is a fun. Three years later, they had their tournament at this place. I said, what happened? I thought it was too far. Well, in the tournament, then we started so, but so I've always been, but I've always been one to, to uh, in housing and everything else. I've always been one, though, to, to, to fight for things. Sometimes on expense. We're going to get to the yeah. housing, but I, I still want to stay with Homer G. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> what did it mean to the black community? Well, Homer G. meant a lot to the black community because here again, the black community was segregated in those days. You see, the black community, all of the blacks, at that time, early around nineteen. 25, 26, early in the early 30s, they all had to go to Max Starkloff Hospital and they all were resigned, relegated rather, the better word, to the, to the, to the basement. Uh, the, they, they were not treated equally with the white patients and they put them in dirty, dingy wards and, and it was just terrible. So a few of them were taken at Barnes, but Barnes was segregated then. They would put them down in what they call a sub-sub-basement. I don't know where to see a patient. So at that time, the, the black community was, was treated very, very unfairly because they had nowhere else to go. And, uh, and, and then and that's where Homer Phillips came into attorney Homer Phillips. He realized this, and a lot of other civic-minded citizens realized this. So we got together and, and took the old Barnes Hospital, which was a garrison in Lawton, and eventually they moved out of there, and so it was converted into city hospital, quote-unquote, number two. So that was that was pretty good, except here again we found after a while that it, it was not something. I said, not we, I wasn't here then. But Homer Phillips in the group, then they realized we had to have a better hospital. It, so then it, they thought of Homer Phillips. It must have been very exciting to be in Homer Phillips. I mean, it was in the Ville, correct? Yes, it was exciting, yes. And it was the finest hospital of its type in the country. I don't know, when I, I mean, yeah. I, I, it's yeah. his history to me yeah, and, and, and for yeah. me, but when I sit But here you see, the blacks weren't supposed to go in Homer Phillips. That's what history should show. And this shows you how stupid segregation is. Let me explain this to you, see. The idea was that, and this is all in the history of Homer Phillips. Do you have one of those histories? Uh, yeah. Homer Phillips? I got a lot of it got to get you. I think I got something like which explains a lot of these things. It's all written up. I wrote it up in 1952. It's been copyrighted and everything. But make a long story short, uh, uh, Homer Phillips was evolved the idea because the blacks are not getting proper treatment at this so-called city hospital number two. Mm -hmm. See, in those days, it's hard to conceive. You can tell people that that every patient. Uh, that was uh, 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 black had to go to Max had to go to Homer Phillips. All white patients had to go to to Max Starkloff in those days. But here again, such uh, segregation could be so stupid and so dangerous. And this is essentially what happened because they had one person who was black, but it looked like he was white, and they took him down to Max Starkloff. The ambulance. They got down there, and his wife came to see him because he was black. They sent him back to Homer Phillips and he died in there. Same thing happened to a white man who they rushed him into Homer Phillips to save his life and because it was white, I don't know, you can't be treated. They rushed him down to Max Tarkov and he died. Well, those types just laugh at things that are stupid. But anyway, then they realized that they had to stop that. So they, so they then made a rule that all patients east of Grant would be treated at Max Tarkov. All patients west of Grand would be treated at home and filled, regardless of racial identity. Why? Why did the you said Washington was, was 
the men at Washington U headed the departments? No, not all of them, not all of them. At, at first, because there were no so, Negroes trained in those areas. I see. Yeah, see, but even though Homer Phillips was a black hospital, I would say about 60% of the attending staff were white because we didn't have any black doctors in certain areas. So it wasn't a black hospital per se because the teaching uh, was, well. now we had some, and that was one of the reasons they sent me to New York and another doctor went to, to, so that we eventually could assume the role of running a department. We didn't have the know-how or the expertise to do it at that time. Well, I, I read in something you wrote, and, and, and let me ask this question, is that the, when Dr. Sinclair died, yeah. The affiliation, let me finish up, the affiliation with Washington U stopped uh, or died down or slowed up, but wouldn't that have happened as you all became heads of your own departments anyway? Well, a lot of other things happened when Dr. Sinclair died. But I want to know. His more. death did do that, yeah, but that was only part of the story. Okay, but I want to know, as as did did they filter out as you all Came in and became heads. Yes, well, we didn't need them. Right. That's true. We were able to take on as, as we became more trained, as we went other places like I did to get your training. Mm -hmm. Then we brought them back in. But as Dr. Sinclair, we must say, was similar to Homer Phillips in his life. It, it, life is a funny thing. Dr. Sinclair had one idea before his death to see that every head of the department. Was, was either in the hands of a black person who was competent. Now, nobody wanted to put a black in there and didn't know what they were doing. Because here again, we had to meet the guidelines of the American Medical Association, which was prejudicial, but every department was approved by the American Medical Association, which was wonderful, even in those days. And some of Max Stockwell's departments were not approved. And that's one thing about Homer Phillips, the, the history will show that every department was excellent. approved excellent. At the time, they abolished it, which was stupid. That's what I'm saying. And Dr. Sinclair, that was his goal, to see that we, because he realized we must be self-sufficient. We can't rely on the white man to come out here and train. And his, his ideas were too, because later on, because of the war, they became sure. And then, sure, then Morris University, St. Louis University sent us a nice little letter. He said, doctors, uh, we're sorry now, but because of the shortage, we got many Wait a minute, it has to start winding. Okay, so that's what the war so, meant? Yeah, and that's why Dr. Sinclair's uh, uh, vision, the, the, the vision he had was so great, because he realized that we must be self-sufficient and not rely on the white man to run this hospital, because his opinions may change, and the segregation pattern may change, and not only that, the, the numbers of white men being able to come to the hospital may diminish for reasons outside of his control. War, and that's true. Therefore, I can understand that. You've got to look out for number one. Mm -hmm. And they got to supply the departments of Washington University first. We come later. So when that happened, we would suffer. But what happened, when that happened, we had men. Now, a lot of them weren't ready, but they were almost ready to step in. And some of them did step in as acting chairman. So therefore, his prophecy came true. We were able to survive and maintain our accreditation. Uh, at the Mounds City Medical, I said association, you call it forum, is that, yeah. is that correct? Yeah. Correct. Um, what kind of things were discussed in the, in the 40s? Was it, was besides medicine? Well, or politics, politics po was a big politics part. Politics and segregation. We were supporting Homer Phillips, segregation, trying to get black doctors into the St. Louis Medical Society. They wouldn't take us trying to get black doctors into the hospitals, trying to get black doctors into the various uh, other medical uh, things that were going on in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. But our primary concern was to work with Homer Phillips Hospital. And along with that came in the Homer Phillips Alumni Association, which was a very strong body, which worked also, like most alumni groups, to strengthen Homer Phillips. We put money in, we helped doctors. Interns that came didn't have any money, we give them money. We bring them here. We pay for them to come here and look at the hospital. That's what the alumni associated did to help the hospital. And that strengthened. See, in those days, we had 35 and 40 interns every year. It's hard for people today to conceive of that many. Now, they all didn't come from, from uh, Meharry or Harvard. Most of them did. Because even in those days, there was a, 
a smattering, just an insignificant number that came from so-called uh, quote-unquote uh, integrated schools. But they would take one or two, like I was at Wayne, maybe one or two in Chicago, one or two in Rush, see. But in most of the time, we relied on, on, uh, on Howard University and Meharry for most of our people that came. Must have been a lot of competition to come here. Oh yeah, there was. Yeah, there was, was a lot. Uh, and a lot of prestige and business. Yes, it was. Because Homer Phillips was one of the top places for training. Because his record was good, and when you said you finished Homer Phillips, it was interesting. These fellas, even though they went to the deep south, when they laid their credentials out and said that they got training, and I would write along to other doctors about specify, attest to the fact that they had been properly trained, they got on the their hospital staffs, it was funny. The places in the South were taking them quicker than those in the North. It was ironic, but true, if they had the proper credentials. Uh, I would think also that it would be very prestigious, maybe one of the most prestigious things, living, you know, for people, for blacks in St. Louis, to be a doctor. Oh, yes, yes, it was. But I mean, a lot of them stayed here. A lot of them stayed here. So uh, your original question was very good, but I think the facts will show that we didn't have to worry about doctors not staying here too much because a lot of them did stay here. They liked it so well. Facilities were here. The community was nice. And during the three or four, some of them, see, we, some of them stayed five or six years in residency program in those days. Mm -hmm. uh, one fellow said, gee, it looked like I'm never going to get out of the house. Well, he wanted to stay and get more and more training. But during that time, you built up a lot of friendships. And you made a lot of, of friends here, you see. In those days, there was a, a close alliance between the doctors and the school teachers because the school teachers couldn't get married. And the doctors made good escorts for them. Okay. So there was a bond of people that they can't understand. It was true. It was something, it was good for us because the doctor didn't have any money. They couldn't afford to buy it. Here comes this teacher with a paycheck. So it made it nice and the doctors looked good in their tuxedos. And so you were, it was a nice you were bond. The prestige you were the prestige. Yeah, you gave the name, you gave, and they had the money. Okay. And we were only getting $10 a month uh, for our internship. So that was nothing. You couldn't afford anything. But you could dress up and the school teachers like doctors because when they go out, it made a good appearance. And they couldn't get married. No, Dr. Not Venable legally. and Miss So-and-so. Yeah, that's right. So you, there was and a lot that, of things. That, that's very interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's very, that's yeah. a very... Yeah, so uh, the doctors, so there was a certain alliance that was, and a lot of the doctors married school teachers. A lot of the doctors married the school teachers in those days. And then they and stopped the being then, able to be school teachers. Yeah, then, well, then they left the school, the school system. So, so that was that was changed. Definitely. Yeah, that's all. That all was changed. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the answer, I, I yeah. have I have I have more. Yeah, go ahead. Um, all right. All right. Uh, tell me about the working relations between the, the white doctors when they would come in and head the departments and, and, and the blacks. I, I suppose it was different according to personality. Well, the working relations working relationships were very good, and I say that honestly for one important reason. No white doctor came to Homer Phillips unless he wanted to come. Yeah. Most of the place they had a choice, which we didn't know, but they knew it. We, I didn't find that out until I became a member of the staff at St. Louis University, yeah. which was in 1943. I had an uncle. Yeah, so then I saw the other side of the coin. Mm -hmm. And every doctor that came to Homer Phillips was never pressured to come. He came because he wanted to come. Mm -hmm. And if he didn't want to come, his dean would send him somewhere. Which was good because we didn't have anybody going around there with a chip on their shoulder. They wanted to go. And that was one of the greatest things that ever happened because every white doctor that came there came because he was sincerely interested in helping patients. Now, some of them, I must say, be honest, some of them came out there to learn because they could do things out there that they couldn't do at the university. And I say that honestly. Like, what could they do? Well, some of the research, some of the things that was somewhat radical that they could do at the city hospital. Now, also, that happened in Max Starkwell. In other words, it was like a proven ground for them, for example. In other words, I, I use the word, I guess, somewhat cautiously, but I must say because of some of the experiments that they could do at city hospital, and it wasn't just a racial thing. They did them also at city hospital. They couldn't do it at the university because of their pragmatism and because they had stricter guidelines. You couldn't do anything at the university until it was pretty well sure. But there you could try things. We had dog lab, animal labs, you could try it there and do things. Therefore, a lot of the doctors came there to learn. They could try different types of surgery that perhaps they wouldn't get a chance to do at the university. As an eye doctor, 
as an ophthalmologist, what did you see in the black community at that time that was the most prevalent as far as either eye problems or eye diseases, or what did you see in the eyes that, that I know the eyes are important yeah. in finding other diseases? Well, I think the most important thing, sister, was that the, that, that the, uh, the black community went through the same period of adjustment that I had gone through. They had never seen a black eye doctor. I would think it was about the first in the city. So they weren't accustomed to black men being out the house. Nearly every black patient I had seen had been to several white doctors when they came to me. See, they weren't accustomed to black doctors. Now there was a Dr. Novels and another doctor, but he did eye, ear, nose, and throat. But I was the first black doctor that went and did totally nothing but ophthalmology. So that was a shock to them. They said, wait a minute, uh, you mean you just do nothing but ophthalmology? Yeah, because of those days, doctors did everything. See? And they were, they had, so they had to get adjusted the same way as I did when I came here and never saw a black turtle. Now, so it was funny. This may seem yeah. like, I, we haven't answered that question, but yeah. I want to ask you another. <laughs> this may seem like a, a funny question, but um, take it in the way it's put. Yeah. Did they trust you, a black doctor, as much in the beginning? Somewhat, and somewhat, uh, somewhat they didn't. They didn't at first because they, they were a little doubtful. They didn't know whether I was for real or not. And I'm briefly, and I'll tell you what happened. You see, uh, Dr. Late John Green, John Green at that time was one of the outstanding ophthalmologists in, in uh, St. Louis. He was eventually was the secretary of the American Board of Ophthalmology and uh, he and I became good friends. And uh, he and I became very good friends, and he helped me. In other words, and I say this rather humorously now, but it was true, he had more black patients on his office on Tuesday and Thursday afternoon than m myself and another eye doctor had all together. Oh, yeah. Because here again, black people just fell with their eyes. They wouldn't trust you too much. So that was, and I could understand that. So I would go there and help him on Tuesdays and Thursdays. But come over here and help me, Dr. Duncan. I had an office in, in, uh, in Jefferson Market. Come on, I, I like you, and come on and, and, and help me. So I did. So I'd help him on his black patients on Tuesday and Thursday afternoon. And we'd go down to People's Hospital. Because people in St. Mary's were the only private hospital that would take black doctors. So I'd go over there with these patients and, uh, and, and help him. All right, now eventually I kind of got on my own and, and, and I had my office there and the patient was coming to see me and I got to, to, to see them. But it was interesting even then that a lot of patients come to see me, then they go to Dr. Green without me knowing to the see second, opinion. second opinion. And they would end up having him do the surgery and then when they saw me that oh they would look so embarrassed because then I would come in as his assistant. What's and all he had to say was look, Dr. Velma knows what he was doing and they let me operate. It, it's, it's, it's hard to understand, but it was no, true. It isn't. You have to call it because you need somebody that can vouch for you in those days because even your own people. No, because that's not what they're used to. They're, they're they used, weren't used to. They were used to having a father. Yeah, now they were used to black men as interns. They were used to black men delivering babies, but they weren't used to a black doctor food with their eyes. Mm -hmm. They just weren't. And so you could readily understand that's, that. That's why I ask it. Let me ask you, uh, let's finish. I did ask about the um, disease. Was, was there any one thing that was prevalent? Was it just the fact that they maybe weren't taking care of themselves? Or no. They needed glasses or, or what, was yeah. there any? Or I would say no, they had cataracts. Of course, we all know blacks had sickle cell anemia, but in the eyes that wasn't too prominent in those days. They had a lot of diabetes. And as I would say that they, there was, wasn't any particular disease in, in those days that was, uh, may I say, associated primarily with, with black patients. Was there anything, okay. No, I would say there was no specific disease uh, associated with black. The main thing that, just like the Jewish people, they had was taste ox disease and other things like that. I really wasn't and thinking in terms, but I was thinking more of maybe not having had the opportunity to take care of themselves. Well, that's true, because a lot of them are on the poverty more, level, and that's, that's where Homer Phillips came that was more what They I didn't was get the care. It, was, it, was, it wasn't that they were so dumb. And, and well, let's, well, let's go back, I think, I, to answer your question. I've done a lot of work on glaucoma, the research in glaucoma, mm -hmm. and I think this will help to answer this question. That was a very coaching question you brought up. Glaucoma was the disease I've done a lot of research on. In fact, I started when I was intern. 
and I worked on it, written several papers. Because here again, the very question you posed was a lot of misunderstanding. When the white doctor saw the black patient with glaucoma, he felt that most of the time it was far advanced, the patient almost nearly blind. And a doctor in Mississippi wrote a paper in the American Academy of Ophthalmology showing that these patients, they were just ignorant. He said, I just don't understand why these patients wait so long. Well, I found out from the research I did. They didn't have the symptoms. They didn't have the pain. They didn't have the discomfort. They really didn't know what was happening to them. And that changed the whole concept. Right now, Dr. Becker gives me credit for that. He'll say with Dr. Venable, yeah, this is Dr. Venable's syndrome. That's how we got to him. We're yeah. Big, because uh, he said Dr. Venable was the first one that brought that out. That these patients didn't know what was happening to them. The it, white patient that has glaucoma, let me finish now, is a patient that has pain. He knows something's going on. Some of them even run their heads into the wall to try to get relief. Therefore, they'll go somewhere and have something done. This black patient can sit there with a pressure that's five or six times normal now, this is what I'm saying, and be completely comfortable. So his vision gradually goes away. It may go and come back, and he's used to that. Furthermore, in the south where this fellow was, the, the white, the black patient didn't have access to eye doctor. He had, he had to come once a month or twice a month. So there was a lot of things. So what he said, I had to refute, which I did in the journal. And I said, these patients had far advanced glaucoma because they didn't realize what was happening. I don't understand it. Why would they, why would, could they have the pain and not well, that's what act I, on it? Well, I'm telling you, they didn't have the pain. That's what they, I'm why to tell. didn't they? That's the way their body was built. You say, you know, now, that's what I bought. You're saying there's a difference? Oh, there's a difference. Oh, marked difference. And we see that now. It's with Dr. Becker. They see that now at Washington University. Patients come in with, with high pressure. Some of the residents don't understand. They're completely comfortable. Another, another analogy, which I brought out in my research, is in the heart the same way. You have a lot of blacks die of certain called silent death. One of the, our greatest surgeons on the train died and his wife didn't even know he was dead. They have a silent death. That way they could have coronary heart disease and all of the interns would tell you that with absolutely no pain. They don't even have no angina, nothing going up and down the arm. Mm -hmm. So there's a difference in people. And I, and I did research on that to show us do I think, to the vessels in the arm so that these vessels expand and therefore they can give. And they don't have this pain, this discomfort. But it's important to know that. So when this black patient comes to you with far advanced glaucoma, it is because he's dumb. It's because he's he's never had the symptoms. Now, let's take the other. Therefore, I went to the academy knowing this and said, now here's what we got to do. Not only black pain, but everybody. We got to take a routine check of their pressure every year. We got to take a routine check of and what you're now doing. Everybody with glaucoma should have their eyes checked at least once or twice a year. Don't wait for symptoms. And that's what we're doing with black. And by doing that, we pick up early glaucoma in blacks. But this guy said, never, they never have early. I said, oh, yes, they do. They have it. But you got to do a routine exam. And now they're finding it all over the world. So you see, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Now I do. So it's there, but they never brought it up. Mm -hmm. I just had So it was, had nothing to do with mentality. That's what I wanted to say. What was the feeling? Did you, did you have it? What was the feeling of the white community to Homer G? Well, the white community, the home and the relationship was, was good. Uh, I would say that the uh, their overall relation was excellent because most of us did try to go out to Washington University and Washington University came over there and sent their doctors. So there was a certain liaison between the university and the hospital. Mm -hmm. And then later on we did get into, I don't know the exact year, we got into the St. Louis Medical Society and that helped uh, because we uh, uh, became uh, uh, integrated in that area. Uh, at the same time, and uh, goes a step, goes a step back, the Brown City Medical Forum uh, became an integral part of the uh, of the uh, National Medical Association. So that gave us a little national status too. We became one of their constituent bodies, which is very, very important because then we had national people, black and white, coming into our forum and exchanging ideas, and that helped. But I say the, uh, the white community uh, at large, I think it was very good. From a political point of view, it was always felt it was a black hospital, which wasn't true. 
and, and it ended up that we would always get the shaft as far as the city was concerned, and that was true. They never allocated enough funds, or less, but they never would allocate funds on a fair appropriation basis as they did Max Starkle. They would give Max Starkle more money than they gave us for everything. I know because I was medical director, so I'm not talking from here, Sam Dr. because I was sitting in the chair. Mm -hmm. And we would have more patients, but still we got less money. We would have more patients by their statistics in our emergency room, yet we got less money. Did Washington U or St. Louis U help you in the political area at all? Yes, well, let, well, see, a lot of people don't understand that. You see, Washington U and St. Louis U, when I came here, would alternate. They had a pact whereby each one of them would alternate their association with Homer Fellows every four years. That was to be done. But in 1939, when I came here, at that particular time, the war was going on, they were having a shortage, and that was soon changed. Because then when the rotation, I think it was the following year in 1940, St. Louis U was supposed to come in and take over, and they couldn't because they didn't have enough doctors. Then Washington U went to them and said, this is the end of the rotation. If you can't take it over, then we will assume this from now on. Oh. Yeah. So ever since then, you see, it was Washington. So, see, St. Louis U has not been, I would say, associated on a, uh, an authoritative basis with Homer Phillips Hospital mm -hmm. since 1940. All since then, it's all Washington U. Yes. But, but, so did Washington U help you politically? They helped us some politically. I would say that's, that's true. Because they were affiliated with us and they would help us give funds. And a couple of their people, like Moyer, who was ahead of the city, it was more or less an individual basis. Mm -hmm. But basically, I would say there was a lot of discrimination at Washington University in those days. Even in the I department. I don't want to belittle because mm -hmm. myself. But, to show you because here I am head of the department, I couldn't go to an eye conference at Washington University. Larry Post, was Lawrence, the late Lawrence Post, he was head of the department, wouldn't let me come. Mm -hmm. You can't come, you can't have any blacks out here. They have plenty of black faces, but they're not plenty of black. Well, so how did you feel? Terrible, terrible. I, I've been a victim of segregation all my life. I know. And, and, and I felt terrible. Here I am, head of the department. And, 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 and I couldn't. How would you feel sitting in a society where I was a member of the College of Surgeons, member of the International College of Surgeons, passed my board with the, one of the highest grades of coming, and still, still couldn't get in the localized society? How would you feel? You'd feel pretty bad, right. wouldn't you? What did you do, Dr. Venable? How did you vent it? How did you, how did you handle it? I, 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 I stayed complacent inside. I feel that time would eventually take care of it. I felt there was no need for me getting a bunch of There's no need to be fighting, no need to be being overtly uh, opposed. I said, well, but I did. I kept going. I didn't, I never missed a meeting as a guest. And finally, there was a group of people that came to my aid, as life would happen. One of them was Dr. Mattis, who was a professor at Oxford University, and about four other people. They went to this fellow, and I called his name the late Dr. Drews. Dr. Drews is blackballing me every year. They went to Dr. Drews. He said, Dr. Drews, what do you have against Dr. Venable? Well, Dr. Venable operated on one of the patients that I had seen, and he didn't do the operation that I suggested he do. Probably jealous, too. Well, scared. Well, they told me this. They said, well, Dr. Venable, we told him this. See, at that day, segregation, he would see the patient at St. Louis University, they sent all their black patients to St. Mary's Infirmary. But then I was in the department. He was sending the patient in there with certain suggestive operations. I, I had done a lot of work in glaucoma in those days on blacks, and I knew more than most people knew, as has history has shown. I did what I thought was best for the patient. He got mad and blackballed me, so I couldn't get it. Well, that all came out. So they went to him and said, Look, what we're going to do, Dr. Jews, let's just put it on. If you don't let Dr. Venable in this organization, you've already kept him out long enough. We're going at the next meeting and expose you. We're going to tell the society why you're blackballing Dr. Venable. And you're going to look like a damn fool. Those were their words. He said, how would you feel, Dr. Jews? Put yourself in Dr. Venable's position. You are the surgeon. The surgeon always has a right to do what procedure he feels is best for the patient in his hands. 
A surgeon is never obligated to do what somebody else suggests. If that's the way they want it, then let that man do the operation. Dr. Venable did what he thought was best, and time has shown the patient now is doing very well. So what you were doing is very, very amateurish. That's the way they put it. And sure enough, at the next meeting, I got in. How did he? He didn't blackball me, and I went in unanimous. But I mean, that's the type of thing you went How did you, you feel Well, all right. Because I found out when I got in there, there was a lot of people uh, with me. That's one thing you find, segregation too, that a lot of white people are for you. But they're going to stay in the background until things kind of get settled. But I understand black people the same way. As long as you're hitting it yourself and getting out for that, once you seem to be coming out, then a whole lot of people are for you. But until you reach that point, they're going to stay in the background. It's embarrassing to them. But they'll come, oh, Dr. Venom, I'm so glad you got into society. And I said, well, where were you guys all these dead years? Yeah, we've been wanting you for Yeah, yeah. Oh, we were so happy you got Well, so this is the thing. So, but I'm used to that, and I've, I've geared my life to realize these patterns. And a lot of people are for you, but they're not going to be the same way with Bernie Becker. Bernie, I've told Becker this old. The main thing, Bernie Becker came to me and said, look, I want you in this department. We're going to work together, and I'm going to come over to Homer Phillips, and a lot of things I see, I don't like. You're supposed to be a part of this university, but I don't see you down here. You're going to be part of this university. I'm going to do this, which I, I appreciate. Because that's what and Bernie did. did. Sure he did. And that's what helped me. Because I've learned one thing again. When the man at the top is for you, all other people fall in. Yeah. And Bernie Becker, like Rounds, I go to Rounds this afternoon. As you probably know, he's stepping down. Who? Bernie Becker is stepping down. Oh, is he? Yeah. Well, he was supposed to step down two years ago. But uh, they found somebody, I won't say what it is, we're not sure yet, but he's going to step down, I think, this year or next year. But you see, here again, because, and, and I've been in both regimes, so I understand very readily how the pattern is. And Bernie Becker, he was young, he said, look, I want Dr. Vandal over here. He's coming around. His residents are coming around. They're part of this. They didn't have no more Because anybody that was against, they kept their mouth shut. Now, just before that, Larry Post was just the opposite. Segregation was rampant, so all the fellows that felt inclined to be that way came out and openly chastised me, openly criticized me, made me very, very uncomfortable because they were in the driver's seat because the head of the department felt the way they did, you see. So this is what I'm saying. But now that no longer exists. If those guys feel that way, they better, they'll do it in closed quarters. They're not coming out openly because openly it's not the proper thing. How did the 50s differ from the 40s for Homer G? Well, in the 50s, we had more people getting trained. We had more people that were coming through uh, getting trained. And I say the, the city changed with this system uh, about the, the patients, black or white, were, were together. The only thing that separated you was a geographic uh, distribution from Grand Avenue. So in the 50s, it was a much more... So you were seeing white patients? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were seeing white patients. Yeah, we were seeing white patients there. And, uh, and it made it, it was very nice. It was a very nice relationship uh, because we would go down to Backstar Club, they would come, there was somewhat of a better interchange. And I would say it was a more or less, a more of an amiable type of relationship between, between the two hospitals. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it all ended up as being quite beneficial to the between patient. Between Starkoff and... Oh yeah, and Homer Phillips, yes. Yes, there wasn't the antagonism there that, that a lot of people envisioned. I was there every day, and I went to both places. I, there will always be some. I could, and there's a lot of, uh, and, uh, and like there's a lot of antagonism that most people know between the two universities, Washington, St. Louis University. A lot of antagonism between those two places, right today, mm -hmm. so because one of it because of academic status, mm -hmm. and uh, which has been publicized, and and St. Louis University. You see, uh, there's a lot of antagonism. And you, trying to get hearts and trying to get the transplants going and so forth. A lot of competition. So a lot of the doctors at Washington University don't like St. Louis you know, which is I've been to both places, so I, I worked at both. Let's talk more about the fifties yeah. and Homer G. What what Homer G. Phillips, what what else would you say Well Homer Phillips well in the fifties, now let's see the fifties. In the fifties Homer Phillips began to expand. At that time though we ran into a diminishing type of residents, a number of residents. Because here again with integration, uh, Harry and Howard didn't have to send the residents to the Philip. They were sending to the white places. Now they could get in. Therefore our census dropped. Dropped down to twenty-five, then fifteen, 
then ten, so we got to the point where it was hard for us to get interns at Did Home, you, Home and Phillips. Did you get any white interns? Yeah, we had some white, but very few. Then we started taking the foreigners. So, so the foreigners came in to build up our residential staff. See, because the foreigners came in then. Did because it was hard to get a black resident. They were going to the white institution. Yeah, did you feel a little bit resentful of that? For, what? for two reasons. Did you feel a little bit resentful of the of, of of not being able to get the black resident for for the reason for two reasons. One that uh, it had it was the only place that had been open for you and and it was important for you and you were very glad to be at that hospital and very proud of it. And here comes ten, fifteen years later and uh, these guys don't want to come there. Well, I could also, understand that, though. I could understand that. No, I wasn't resentful because I understood, understood what was happening. And I also was looking down the road and understood that this was going to change, which it did change. I prophesied that. I was very provocative and, and provocative, I should say, and it came true. Because right now, we're in the same boat we were when I was in training. Blacks are having trouble getting training all over this country because of the quota system, because of the fact that all of the training centers, Washington University included, has cut down on their residents all over. So it makes it hard for not only blacks, but for anybody to get training. So the blacks are feeling the, the, the pressure. So therefore they need places like Homer Phillips, which they don't have, to get training. So what's happening now, and I'll say this one, a lot of blacks will not get trained anywhere because there's no place to train them. The places that they could go to, they're not going to get in because of the quotas. The quota is not a dirty word. They have to only take so many. Why, why do we have a quota again? They have a quota system because there some people at the higher echelon field, they had a committee, survey committee, that felt there were too many doctors. So not only Washington University, but Harvard, Johns Hopkins, all of the top schools all over the country. Oh, just generally the Yeah, there's too many doctors. Therefore, they're cutting down. Washington University was used to take, say, 18, 20 a year, now or down, to only take about six. Well, look what that means. Mm -hmm. Therefore, they got to be very persistent. A lot of the white doctors aren't going to get it. Now, we realize now a lot of doctors, white, black, and you name it, but the pinch is going to be primarily on the black doctors because they're not going to get in training. Now, I'll say something else this personal, but you, I think you may know. That's why my wife and I organize this fund. And are you aware of the fund that we established? Well, that's part of it. That's why we did that. My wife and I got together and established a research fund at Washington University to train black or minority ophthalmologists. It's not only for be a foreigner, be a black, and women, those three, because they're having trouble getting in medical school. So we feel to help this issue, we organize and put the money up in the, re in the Department of Ophthalmology for this. So this is why we're doing it, because it's hard for these people to get training, you see, because of the quota system. Now, it is a prejudicial, but it ends up that way because it's going to make it even harder for the minorities to get training. And you must realize again now that Meharry and Howard and some of the places that were training blacks, they're having problems monetary-wise. Meharry University is almost bankrupt. Uh, uh, Harlem Hospital is way down. Providence Hospital is closed. is closed. All right, Homer Phillips is closed. You see what that means? The places that they went to formerly for training are all gone, which means there's a more and more pressure on them to get in these integrated things, which they can't get into. It so it, it, it runs into integration works for and against, for uh, for better for, but it does have. Uh, well, it has two sides of the coin. Yes. So you must look at it both ways. Yeah. You see, now, therefore, they're forced to go to the white institutions. And, and the white institutions know that because they got their own that they're trying to train. We've come so far and we're still thinking black-white, aren't we? Well, that's right, we are. We're thinking black-white, you're right. So the difficulties now, which after 40, 45 years, you think are better, but they're not. In fact, they're even worse. But they're not only worse for black, they're worse for the white, they're too. They're worse for everybody. Bernie Becker has a lot okay. of people that he would like to take, he can't take. He has no place to put them. That, that brings me, it's a good point to, to veer off and to, uh, uh, we talk about times of change as a mature, a mature adult yeah. with a responsible position 
what were the views, generally speaking, we're going to talk about 40s and 50s, not so much Homer G, but yeah. we're talking about the, well, there were two wars then, there was the, uh, the Second World War and the Korean War in yeah. the 50s. Um, there were changes uh, for blacks uh, as far as jobs uh, um, after the war. What well, that's true. That's true. Well, the black after the war, as far as I'm concerned, I know in Detroit, I see I left, I left Detroit in 39. Let's talk about St. Louis. Uh, St. Louis 